Reporting from Washington, the site of the first live meeting of the National Association for Business Economics since the pandemic began. I've been a NAIDE member my entire professional life. We met at this moment, a moment of confusion and change, of disruption and challenge. We heard from some of the country's top economists on the outlook, on supply chain, on labor supply, on work from home. We heard from key officials at the Federal Reserve. We heard from Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen as she faces a momentous period of fiscal policy negotiations and large fiscal risks. Good day, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Cliff Notes on the Global Manufacturing Picture. I'm Cliff Waldman. I'm the host of this show, one of many on Manufacturing Talk Radio. It's a little bit after 3 o'clock on the east coast of the United States. We are live today. I had the pleasure of going to a live event with Nave yesterday, and I thought I would come on live and help my listeners to understand some of the implications of that. As usual, I will first give you my insights on the latest U.S. manufacturing data, but I'll enrich those insights with what I learned as I attended the critical 2021 Washington Economics Conference. In the last episode of this show, I discussed the mounting risks in the business world, and remarkably, in some ways, that list of risks that I gave you, that list of disruptions that I gave you, correlated very well with the agenda for the NAIB meeting. I had the great opportunity over the past three days to speak to my fellow economists about many of the challenges that all of you are facing as you try to navigate your businesses through this difficult period. First, the data. After a July in which U.S. manufacturing output growth was greatly exaggerated by the failure of the auto sector to engage in its seasonal plan shutdowns, August was kind of a splash of cold water. U.S. manufacturing output growth registered a modest, 0.2% on a month-over-month basis, down from 1.6% in July, in the month before. Coming on the heels of what has been a fairly impressive post-pandemic industrial recovery, this is not in and of itself a concern, especially since Hurricane Ida forced plant closures in petrochemicals, in plastic resins, and in uh, petroleum refining. There was notable strength in computer and electronic products in August, in fabricated metals, and in furniture. Clearly, we are still buying things for a more home-centered life, even though the economy is opening up, going a little bit, uh, going a little bit outside of the house. The August... Institute for Supply Management Manufacturing Survey, very closely followed by manufacturing forecasters, manufacturing analysts. In August, it showed us what we have seen for some time now, very strong demand and very troubled supply. The overall purchasing managers index rose from 59.5 
to a remarkably high 59.9 in August. In August, orders, the orders and production components of the Purchasing Matters Index came in at or above the, the very strong, the exceedingly strong 60% mark. But both the data and the respondent comments, the survey respondent comments, pointed to continued supply chain stress with perhaps a bit of easing, supplier deliveries, the percent who say that supplier deliveries have been slower, has come down a bit, although it's still very much in ele elevated territory. As has been the case for some time now, survey respondents pointed to chip shortages, port delays, labor market shortages, and raw materials prices. Clearly, folks, it's the story that you know well uh, is showing up and continuing to show up in the data. The surge in COVID cases propelled by the Delta variant has been a problem and remains a risk for the broad economy and for very troubled manufacturing supply chains. While August saw a rebound in retail sales after a sharp drop in July, the Delta variants, along with inflation pressures and shortages of key goods, are all downside risks for the near-term prospect of consumer spending. That's important to know because as we go through this recovery, all analysts, all the economists that I talk to and listen to at the NAVE meeting are all expecting this economic recovery in the United States to be driven by the consumer. So what happens to the consumer, the risks for the consumers are important, and right now the Delta variant is clearly a major risk. On a global basis, the biggest boon for manufacturing activity has been a much-needed resurgence in equipment investment as companies prepare for a post-pandemic world. That's the story of the data. So many issues of relevant, relevance to the current state and outlook for U.S. manufacturing were discussed in the past three days at the gathering of my fellow economists who I've known for many years. At the outset of the conference, one prominent economist asserted that while global, global economic growth may have peaked for this period of 2020 recovery, it is not about to start contracting again. It will slow, but it's, nobody expects it, and he certainly he doesn't expect it to contract again, in spite of all the issues that I have just discussed with you. But he also noted that the Delta variant has been a real economic impediment. It has clearly eaten this past summer into the United States' economic growth. The question of inflation is one of the biggest issues for the U.S. macroeconomic outlook, and thus it matters a great deal for the U.S. manufacturing outlook. This is the first time we have dealt with a serious inflation threat in a generation. There will be many business people listening to this broadcast who have never understood what it is to operate in a high inflation environment. A Federal Reserve official addressed the NABE conference on the economic outlook and in doing so discussed inflation, obviously of great concern 
to the Fed as the, their dual mandate of employment and price stability comes into the picture here. The Fed official noted that inflation is currently elevated and is creating challenges for both consumers and businesses. The official noted that the high inflation readings from the spring and early summer were disproportionately driven by a few sectors experiencing supply bottlenecks. Specifically, in May and June, new and used vehicle prices added, were just added about half to the outsized uh, monthly increase in the core consumer price index. Core, by the way, meaning excluding food and energy. You will hear core CPI a lot. We take away food and energy because they're very volatile, very globally determined these days, and uh, the underlying inflation rate is actually better measured without them. So the new and used vehicle prices were contributing a great deal to the outsized um, increases in the core CPI in early spring, in spring and early summer. We know why that is. Chip shortages. They made it very difficult to buy new cars. They weren't there. So people had a, there was a tremendous surge in the demand for used cars, and that's why we're seeing ridiculous increases in used car prices. But these categories were considerably smaller contributions to the inflation picture, the core inflation picture in July, and in August their joint contribution declined to zero. Now, while the Fed official believes that the uh, the currently elevated inflation level is driven mostly by COVID-related disruptions, the, the, the official assured all of us at the NAB conference that the Fed is monitoring, monitoring incoming data for any indications that the breadth of inflation pre- uh, pressures is rising and spreading. That can happen when things like inflation expectations, when the public starts to have a higher a view of that inflation is going to be, quote-unquote, permanently higher, then it gets into things like wage negotiations. Most analysts, most economists, most people at the conference, while leery of this, while concerned about this, don't quite see that happening just yet. Unsurprisingly, turning to another hot topic, Supply chains were a hot topic at the conference. We heard from the chief economist of the Department of Commerce, gave a a fascinating talk and essentially urged economists to invest in supply chain research to help governments identify the effective public policy responses to supply chain challenges. A noted expert on supply chains spoke at the conference, and she told us that supply chains, and I'm sure you knew this probably better than most economists do, she told us that supply chains are not chains. The nomenclature is a bit off here. Rather, they are multi-tiered and interconnected networks with different network structures um, across industries. It's better to call them supply systems. I think I'll do that. I think I'm going to call them supply systems because she showed us a diagram, a picture of it, and they are they are ecosystems. They are not change. While impossible well, to predict, external shocks to supply chains, as she explained, happen regularly, 
although in modern times, no external shock has even come close to what the COVID pandemic has done. In fact, she, uh, she told us that supply chain disruptions create uh, losses equal to a little more than 40%, 42% of one year's EBITDA on average uh, every decade. That's significant. The much-discussed regionalization of supply chains, and I have brought this up before, was, you know, was a, a topic of discussion at the conference. Uh, the question being, when we get really get past the pandemic, get past this period in history, and as a result, not just of the pandemic, but of the trade battle before, which I know seems like a lifetime ago, are we going to see supply chains become less global and more regional? Well, guess what? That's been happening already, and it's been happening for a number of years by one measure that she showed. She showed us that the share of intra-regional goods trade in total trade, one measure of the regionalization of supply chains, has actually been increasing since about... 2013. Remarkable. There's going to be a lot to say about supply chains. Supply chains will be a much bigger story in the economic and ex picture and an economic analysis practice in the years to come. What about labor shortages? Well, a number of very good people who, work, who study the labor market and study labor issues for, you know, often long and very distinguished careers, said, there, yes, there really is a shortage. You often question terms in these kind of discussions. But the basic measure is that job openings have been well above hires. The gap between job openings well, and, job, and hiring has, been, has never been this great, an uh, indication of a real shortage. Many complex issues. There's no one silver bullet explanation for why this, ha this is happening, but it sure is happening. And it's ha as one analyst pointed out to us, it's happening in the general economy. There are a few areas where it's not quite happening as much retail, but, but manufacturing is not one of them. Manufacturing has seen significant, should be no surprise to my, the audience of my show, manufacturing has seen significant supply chain shortages. Now, many things come into play here. Child care. Child care needs to be studied. Uh, the, the supply of child care. The infrastructure of child care. Pandemic fears. Uh, the fears of the virus. Are you going to pay me enough to come back? And if I have a frontline public-facing job, I'm still a little leery. So I, I think partially that just the, you know, the continuation of concerns pr primarily propelled by the Delta variant are, are causing, uh, you know, part of the labor market shortages that we're seeing. What about all those unemployment benefits? There was much talk that, in effect, people were being paid to stay home. That was creating a disincentive to go back into the labor market. The jury, this is going to be studied for years to come and remains an area of study, and the jury's still out, but those who have looked at this say what, what I happen to believe, that yes, those unemployment benefits, state and federal these days, 
did have an impact, did slow the return to labor, but not as much as people think. They're not the silver bullet explanation of why we are having so many labor market stresses, such a difficult labor market shortage. It's all of these things in combination. And also, labor supply, when we think of labor supply, people tend to think of it nationally, but labor markets are very regional. Let's remember that a lot of people moved during the pandemic, and they generally moved out of the city centers into the exurbs and into the suburbs. That, in effect, for certain industries, depending on where you are, depending on how your supply systems, no longer supply chains, supply systems work, had an impact on the availability of labor to you. So the fact that a lot of people moved really had an impact here. How do you summarize the conference, a complex three-day conference? Leave it to Secretary Yellen to to come up with the, the salient lines for me to finish the broadcast with. She said that the U.S. economy is indeed recovering. But she also said that significant we will have significant economic risks in front of us, with us, until we move decisively past the pandemic. And while things look a little bit better, there is some vague hints that maybe the Delta surge in parts of the country is peaking, although uh, experts think that it, there could be a kind of a regional rolling, a rolling between regions. But clearly, whatever your theory is, whatever the right science is, we have not, in Secretary Yellen's words, moved decisively past the pandemic by any means. And that means that risks remain difficult. Risks remain to the downside. And besides the, just the general risks, we have many, many issues to talk about in the months, in the weeks to come, in the months to come, and in many cases in the years to come, inflation, supply systems, the whole change about work from home. It's be interesting to think about how that's going to affect manufacturing. Obviously, manufacturing has many work-from-home type challenges. We'll talk about that. We'll study it. Inequality is not going to go away in, uh, as an issue, and it's going to be an issue that comes into the workplace. A very changing China, a China where the government that is becoming more statist, unfortunately, that is de-risking the financial sector, that is seeing a slowing in growth. I think there's, there was one very good session at the conference with talks about China, and, you know, China is always a risk, but you have to uh, realize that the risks are now not just growing, but changing. And unfortunately, we also have to look at military risk with China, with geopolitical risk. China is, it's, China always gives us a lot of work to do. That you have to, you can't ever say you're expert in it. You have to keep studying it because it becomes a different country every so often. That's happening now, and we'll look at it in episodes to come. Climate change. These disruptive, terrible weather events are having, have had, and will continue to have big impacts on our supply system problems. They affect, they are affecting, and will affect where people do and can live. Infrastructure. We will see what happens with the Biden bill shortly, and then we'll talk about its impact. And of course, 
labor supply. I hope you will join me for the October episode of Cliff Notes on the Global Manufacturing Picture. It's October 20, Tuesday, October 26th at 3 p.m. I will have a guest then. My guest will be very familiar to the listeners of this show. It will be Dr. Chad Motre, the chief economist, the very well-known chief economist of the National Association for Manufacturers. At that point, he will give us his thinking, his analysis with all this, of the outlook for 2022. Until then, this is Cliff Waldman saying, I will see you next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.